we come together in the presence of God to bring our worship and our praise. And our call to worship this morning is from Psalm 113. Praise the Lord. Praise, O servants of the Lord. Praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time on and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is high above all the nations and his glory above the heavens. Who is like the Lord our God who is seated on high, who looks down on the heavens and the earth? He raises the poor from the dust and lifts up the needy from the ash heap to make them sit like with princes, with the princes of his people. He gives the barren woman a home, making her the joyous mother of children. Praise the Lord. And so we're going to join in our opening hymn of praise, uh, which is on the sheet and also will appear on the screen. And if you're able and would like to, uh, please join us in standing as we sing together. Let all the world in every corner sing. to God in prayer together. We'll pray, our lead us, and then we will share together in the Lord's Prayer in our own first languages and familiar versions. Creator God, on this new day, we bring you our worship and praise. Amidst the hustle and bustle of our everyday lives, It is good to pause for a while and to be still. In these moments, help us to quiet our busy minds, to lay down our thoughts and feelings, and simply to be. as we feel the rhythm of our own breathing, 
the rise and fall of tummies and chests. Help us to relax into the embrace of your invisible presence. Held safe and secure by you, we are safe to open ourselves to you. We recall those moments, however fleeting, when we felt glad to be alive. The sights or tastes, the smells or sounds that thrilled us, if only for a moment. The words or music that encouraged or inspired us. The touch of a hand or the kiss of a loved one that made us feel cherished. For these and for others, we give you thanks. We recall, too, the moments, however fleeting, when we failed to be fully alive. The thoughts and words that caused pain to ourselves or to others. The careless actions that damaged something or someone precious. The sights and sounds that made us sad or that somehow diminished our humanity. For these and for others, we are sorry. Redeeming, sustaining God, who in Christ promises us life in all its fullness, we set free from the burden of our own shortcomings and delighting in your unending love, join our voices with those of countless others as we pray for the continuing inbreaking of your kingdom, saying together, Our Father, who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. Thy kingdom come, thy will be done, on earth as it is in heaven. Give us this day our daily bread, and forgive us our trespasses, as we forgive those who trespass against us. And lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Thy is the kingdom, power and the glory, forever and ever.
I wonder if we can just take the lights down for a minute or two because we've got some pictures to have a look at. Anybody spot the connection? <laughs> yep. Within the sounds of music? Favourite things, yeah. These are a, f- it's a song that Maria sings, isn't it, about her favourite things. So I wonder what are our favourite things? You've seen the examples of, of what the character in, in this, in this um, story had as favourite things. What are our favourite things? Anybody got a favourite colour? Wendy? Blue? Paul? Red. Red. Okay. Anybody else got another different favourite colour? Yeah. Orange? Deep purple. Oh, I like that subtlety there. Very good. Okay. Anybody got a favourite flavour? Or a favourite food? Food or flavour? Carl? Sorry? Turkish fish. Tell me about Turkish fish. That's completely new to me. Is it the way they cook it? Uh huh. Oh, that helps, I think, if you're going to eat it. Yep. Right. So it's like the whole, the whole fresh, freshly caught fish. And have you had that in Turkey? Is that yeah? So freshly caught fish in Turkey. Wonderful. Anybody else got a favourite food or flavour? Cheese and onion crisps. That's a good one. Joyce. A nice piece of roast lamb, okay? So different foods, different things. Um, anybody got a favourite smell? Sorry? A 12-year-old McLaren. A 12-year-old McLaren, okay. Yeah, I quite like the smell of new cars, personally, but there we go. Any other smells that people like? Okay. Um, anybody got a favourite sound? Something you like listening to, Carl? The sound of a waterfall. The sound of a waterfall, brilliant, excellent. Anybody else got a favourite sound? Sound they like, if it's not... Giggling. Giggling, that's a great one, isn't it, Elaine? Yeah, it's hard, especially children giggling, it's hard to beat it. Anybody got a favourite place? Wendy? Aaron, okay. Carl? Lockdown. Um, anyone else got a favourite place? Iona? Yep. Nope, they're not. They're just scratching at the back. Paul, Galloway. Galloway. Okay. Anybody got a favourite place that's not in Scotland? Pembrokeshire. Pembrokeshire. Yeah. Goscarock. Oh, there's a bit of hissing going on there. We'll not have any of that. (laughs) Aidan. Vancouver's your favourite place. Yeah. Lots of different favourite places. That's great. A favourite plant. Thing that grows. Something that grows. That's a favourite. Anybody? Strawberries, yep, excellent. Raspberries. Raspberries. I quite like monkey puzzle trees. Kind of slightly bizarre, but I quite like those. Um, does anybody have a favourite animal or bird or, or fish or creature? Yeah. A lemur. Why do you like lemurs? They've got stripy tails, haven't they? Yeah. When I was your age, which is a very, very, very long time ago, there used to be a programme on television called Animal Magic. And they used to have a lemur that they used to show every week called Dotty because she had a stripy tail. It was a really rubbish joke, wasn't it? But yes, <laughs> lemurs are wonderful animals. Yes, Aiden. Dogs, okay. Marine turtles. Marine turtles. Uh, 
Freya? Sorry? Owls. Owls. Anybody like anything else? Yeah. Horses. Horses. Excellent. Carl, can I borrow you for two ticks? Carl came to me this morning. Carl's been really inspired, haven't you, by Marine Turtle? So I'm going to just go away from the script a little bit. Come round to the front so we can reach you. So you hold that one. So would you like to tell everybody just in one minute why you like marine turtles so much and what it is you're doing to try and help them? I'm doing a charity called Flip It uh, where I collect money from people usually I know. Uh, uh, and I do a little, I'm doing a little thing at school um, where I tell people why, for example, net fishing is worse than line fishing because animals tend to get caught in the nets. Um, and I, re- I started liking turtles when I swam, in that, swam with one uh, in Hawaii, um, and it really just got me inspired. But I also went to Sea Life the other day, um, and I saw this baby turt- uh, seal called Ollie, uh, and he was injured um, and in a seal hospital in Oban, um, and I thought, I thought I might want to start a charity to help stop that from happening. So, yeah. Thank you. That's brilliant. So, if you would like to support Carl in his efforts to support marine creatures, then see him after the service. Which is a really good link, actually, thank you, Carl, into the song we're going to sing next. It's just a fun song that reminds us of the wonderful diversity of creation. And I've forgotten to do something, so I'll have to do it after the song before you go out, just to confuse you. So we're going to sing this song, and then after that, I'll do something, and then you'll leave. It's a great song that reminds us about all the wonderful diversity of creation. So we'll sing together, Who Put the Colours in the Rainbow?
when I was thinking about my favourite things over the week, um, I remembered that seven years ago, which is before some of you were born, who, who's under seven years old? Seven years or under. Bonnie's under seven. Rory and Lois are under... Are you, are you seven? Eight. You're eight. Oh, wow. So do you remember when I first came here? Because you were quite tiny. Yeah, it does what it's not a test, don't worry. But when I first came here, I brought some hyacinth bulbs with me from where I used to live. And Sunday school grew them, and they were, were lovely. Well, we're going to be moving out of our building in a few weeks' time, and I thought, wouldn't it be nice to have some more hyacinth bulbs? The thing is, we're not going to be able to keep them at the Grosvenor in a cupboard to grow them. So I thought I would like to give each of the children a hyacinth bulb to take away and grow it at home. You can grow it in a pot. You can grow it in your garden. And in the spring, when it comes up, you can enjoy something beautiful that God has made, that God has given us. So would you like to just take a hyacinth bulb? I don't know which colour they're going to come out. I'm pretty rubbish when it comes to growing things myself. Um, I'm sure all the parents are really good at growing things, so you'll be able to, to sort that one out. Things at the back. There we go. So, and we want one for one each for Esther and David. So you, get, you catch them out when they're reading the church magazine during the, the old agey <laughs> bit. Okay, as every child's got one, Leah, you're, you're nearly a, you're sort of a young adult, so you can have one. So we have a few more um, hyacinth bulbs. If anybody would like to take one after the service or a couple after the service to pop them in your garden, please do, because I've nowhere to grow them, and if I tried to grow them, I'd probably kill them. So we celebrate the wonderful diversity of God's creation, and our children continue to explore as they move out to their classes. Thank you. first Bible reading this morning comes from uh, Luke, the Gospel of Luke, chapter 16, verses 1 to 13. Then Jesus said to the disciples, there was a rich man who had a manager, and charges were brought to him that this man was squandering his property. So he summoned him and said to him, what is this that I hear you hear about? Give me an accounting of your management because you cannot be my manager any longer. Then the manager said to himself, What will I do, now that my master is taking the position away from me? I am not strong enough to dig, and I am ashamed to beg. I have decided what to do so that, when I am dismissed as manager, people people may welcome me into their homes. So, summoning his master's debtors one by one, he asked the first, How much do you owe my master? He answered, A hundred jugs of olive oil. He said to him, Take your bill, sit down quickly, and make it fifty. 
Then he said to another, And how much do you owe? He replied, A hundred containers of wheat. He said to him, Take your bill and make it eighty. And his master commended the dishonest manager because he had acted shrewdly. For the children of this age are more shrewd in dealing with their own generation than are the children of light. And I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of dishonest wealth so that when it is gone, they may welcome you into the eternal homes. Whoever is faithful in a very little is faithful also in much. And whoever is dishonest in a very little is dishonest also in much. If then you have not been faithful with the dishonest wealth, who will entrust you entrust to you the true riches? And you, if you have not been faithful with what belongs to another, who will give you what is your own? No slave can serve two masters. For a slave will either hate the one and love the other, or be devoted to the one and despise the other. You cannot serve God and wealth. Our second reading is from the letter of Timothy, the first letter, chapter 2, verses 1 to 7. First of all, then, I urge that supplications, prayers, intercessions, and thanksgivings be made for everyone, for kings and all who are in high positions, so that we may lead a quiet and peaceable life in all godliness and dignity. This is right and is acceptable in the sight of God our Savior, who desires everyone to be saved and to come to the knowledge of of the truth. For there is one God, there is also one mediator between God and humankind, Jesus Christ, himself human, who gave himself a ransom for all. This was attested at the right time. For this I was appointed a herald and an apostle. I am telling the truth, I am not lying, a teacher of the Gentiles in faith and truth.
The title that eco-congregations have given us for today is a fantastic title, Caring Locally, Caring Globally. Lots we could think about in relation to that. And then they give us some Bible readings that I really struggle to connect with that title. So we're going to explore those readings, and I'm going to try eventually to make some kind of connection between what I have thought about as I've read the readings and this very important uh, topic of caring locally and globally. Just a very brief reminder of the textual context of the passage. Jesus is traveling around with his disciples and attracting huge crowds of people who are fascinated by what he has to say. Some of them are tax collectors working for the Romans. Some of them are so-called sinners. Others are religious officials and scholars. Already, and we thought about this a couple of weeks ago, he's cautioned people to think very carefully before they throw their lot in with him, making it clear that he expects to come first, even before their families and their friends. And he's also responded to the grumbling of the religious authorities that he keeps the wrong company, telling stories about lost sheep, lost coins, and a lost son to express the inherent worth of all people and God's desire that no one and no thing be lost. Where we are now, he's talking to his disciples. These are the people who have given up their careers and their homes to journey with him, and who are spending time mixing with the wrong kind of people, the people on the margins. And what comes next, in which Andrew has read for us very skillfully this morning, frankly seems to be a rather clumsy collection of material. Firstly, there's a story, a parable, then some decidedly puzzling advice, a little bit of reflection, and then a stark statement. It doesn't really flow as a continuous piece of teaching. Go away and look at it later, and you might see what I mean. Once there was a senior manager in a multinational corporation who found herself called into the boardroom and was confronted by the directors. It has come to our attention that you have been squandering our assets, she was told. You're fired. Now what could she do? This was the only work she knew, and clearly there was not going to be a reference. A career change wasn't an option, Her savings were limited, and the thought that she might end up living on benefits in a council flat, or worse, horrified her. On the way back to her office, she came up with a plan. Working her way down the contact list in her phone, she rang various of her former clients and customers and reviewed with them their accounts. To one of them, she said, just cut 20% off what you owe us. To another, mark it down by 50%. To another, you were supposed to pay us by the end of next week, but make it the end of next month, and so on. And she thought, well, at least they'll remember that I was good to them on this occasion, and and just maybe, maybe a few doors might be opened when I need to find a new job. 
She cleared her desk, handed back the smartphone, the laptop, and the keys to her company car, and began to walk down the stairs to leave the building and go to the bus stop. As she reached the door, she was stopped by the managing director. That was a shrewd move you made there, he said, before turning on his heel and walking away. Could such a thing happen? I've honestly no idea. But that's pretty much the story that Jesus told. And it's a really odd story, I think, for Jesus to have been told, because it seems to me that there is no way that you can hear this as being a story about God. Or at least not the kind of God that fits with the one in the preceding parables. And it's really odd because it seems to favour looking out for number one. And even behaving in ways that, frankly, seem decidedly dodgy. Some commentators understand the marking down of the bills as basically removing the cut that would have gone to the manager. So the 20%, the 50% would have been his cut, so he slices that off and they just pay the bit that they owed to the company. But even if that's the case, the motivation is utterly about his own well-being. He's not really bothered about them. It's hoping that they'll look out for him. So why does Jesus tell this story? Is he commending sharp practice to his followers? Is he responding to some sort of naive otherworldliness amongst those who have given up their homes and businesses to follow him? Is he maybe sensing that they risk being walked all over and taken advantage of? Or is he simply saying to his followers, actually, there are lessons that we can learn from the world of business, the world of commerce, the world of industry, what sometimes is referred to as the secular world. Perhaps it's this last one that could be helpful. What is it that Christians and churches can learn from the wider world? And if we're thinking about this through the lens of caring for creation, what is it that we can learn from commerce and industry in way of good practice and bad practice? What is it that we can learn from the overtly environmental or ecologically focused organisations. What's going on out there that could inform the way we think in here? In Matthew's Gospel, Jesus calls his followers to be wise as serpents and innocent as doves. And I wonder if maybe that's the kind of thing that Luke is hinting at, albeit in a rather strange way. It doesn't make the actions of the manager into the story an example for us to follow. He's not saying, right, okay, people, just go out and act in a shunky fashion. But perhaps it does suggest that we could be open to insights from surprising sources. 
And then after this story, which is strange or bewildering, an object lesson that in most Bible translations, including the NRSV, which we've just heard, ought to leave us worried. This is what it says in the NRSV translation. I tell you, make friends for yourselves by means of dishonest wealth so that when it is gone, they may welcome you into the eternal homes. Now, apart from the fact that I don't really understand a word of that, is Jesus really telling us to buy friendship by whatever means we can? Is he really telling us to curry favour with others just in case one day we find ourselves down on our luck or short of money? Or has something got lost in translation? So I'm going to offer you an alternative, I would claim equally legitimate, and the scholars I've looked at tell me it's equally legitimate, translation from the Greek that goes Roughly like this. I tell you, make yourselves beloved of others by the way you employ your worldly wealth so that when you die, you will be welcomed into the eternal home. Now that to me makes a lot more sense. Employ the wealth, the money, the gifts that are entrusted to you in a way that is good and and if you do it in a good way you may find yourselves beloved of others and when you die you'll be welcomed into the eternal home it's still challenging though because it does link salvation with action and of course we get twitchy don't we at the idea of salvation by works can you buy your way to heaven by doing good deeds is that what it's saying Well, no, I don't think it is. I read a little book recently called something like Salvation is More Complicated Than You Think. And it went to talk about a lot of this kind of passages. And what the writer was basically saying is those who perceive themselves to be saved, those who identify themselves as followers of Jesus, will find themselves motivated to behave in a different way. Being a follower of Jesus means that the way we choose to spend our money is transformed. The way we expend our energy, our gifts and our talents is changed because we will want to share those with other people and help them to discover the love that we have discovered in the God who never gives up. Maybe I'm overstretching that text a little bit, but it does seem as an absolute minimum to challenge us to think about how we use whatever it is that we have. And certainly, this idea gets picked up a little bit in the short reflection Jesus offers to his followers on trustworthiness. He seems to be saying, in essence, well, people don't change. If you can trust something over a little thing, you can trust them over a big thing. And if you can't trust them over a little thing, you surely can't trust them over a big thing. Perhaps you could extend that as well to organisations and charities and churches, political bodies. 
if you can trust them in small things, perhaps you can in the big things and vice versa. So how do we feel about that, though? Is it fair to assert that a leopard cannot change its spots, which, in case you didn't know, comes from the book of Jeremiah? Or is there always the possibility of redemption? Is it true that somebody or some organisation that has been untrustworthy or unfaithful can be written off? Or can they be transformed? I think that links back to the stories last week of, of lost and found and the reminder that God never gives up, that the redemptive work of Christ on the cross continues and that no one and no thing is too insignificant or too bad to be included within that, to be saved, to use the language the church likes to use. Maybe, whether as individuals, congregations, denominations or nations, we have in some ways shown ourselves untrustworthy in our attitudes towards creation and need to make confession and exercise repentance. Perhaps, like Jesus' followers, we have to be reminded sometimes, again, that there are tough choices to make, whether to be motivated by personal gain or motivated by the desire for the greater good of all. Now, that isn't easy, and we won't always get it right, so let's just name that for the fact that it is. And if it's difficult and demanding for us at a personal or local level to get it right, it isn't any easier at a societal, societal national or international level. Maybe it's easy to say, well, that's a big concern. And maybe it's easy to criticise them, whether them is Glasgow City Council or the government or the European Union or the G whatever number it is this week, nations or the United Nations or whoever it is for what they do or they don't do it isn't always simple to find a solution at that level. So many complicated interactions that have to be considered. Last week we thought very briefly about some work around the garment industry in parts of Asia to improve health and safety. But there are all sorts of tensions there. If you close down the factories, people lose their livelihoods, and that causes poverty. If you close that down there, what impact does that have on other people in other parts of the supply chain who produce the the stuff or who buy the stuff, and so on and so forth? There can be widespread unintended consequences that affect the most vulnerable of people, not just in an immediate area, but like tentacles spreading out across the whole world. So what do we do? Well, obviously, we can learn, we should learn, and improve our understanding. We can join in in campaigning or signing petitions. We can join the Green Party or get involved in Friends of the Earth or uh, Greenpeace or Nuclear Installations Inspectorate or whatever it is you happen to think you could be involved with. We can make careful choices about the things in our power. And we can pray. We should never underestimate the efficacy of prayer. Because as an absolute minimum, if it does nothing else, 
It affects the hearts and minds of those who do so. If I pause to pray for somebody or into some situation, that affects me as an absolute minimum. But in my experience and in my belief, it does actually make a difference. The Apostle instructs the young Timothy on the importance of praying for those in positions of authority and responsibility. He doesn't say anything about the suitability or desirability of the political systems in place. He just says, pray for them. Why? Well, if nothing else, it encourages the person praying to remember that those entrusted with power and responsibility have great things expected from them. It encourages them to realize that these aren't just faceless institutions. Actually, they consist of real people with real lives and real feelings, often faced with seemingly impossible tasks. If nothing else, it encourages us to have a sense of interconnectedness with those far away whose lives influence and are influenced by our choices, our actions, our attitudes. So for what might we pray? Well, I would suggest things like wisdom and compassion, courage, discernment, generosity, gentleness, for hope, and the future-faced thinking. Locally, there are lots of things we can do, practical things to care for creation. Recycle, reuse, repair, you know the mantras as well as I do. Take public transport, walk, grow your own veg, look at who your energy suppliers are, whatever it is. These have an impact, not just locally, but in some small way, even globally. Caring locally caring globally practical choices every day political engagement for some prayerful reflection for all as the supermarket slogan puts it very nicely here every little helps so we will be moving shortly and Holly will be leading us in our prayers But we're going to sing a song that helps to guide us along that path now. We lay our broken world in sorrow at your feet. And I think we'll remain seated to sing this one.
prayers for others this morning are taken from the Wild Goose Resource Group We Worship book. Um, The response to God send your spirit is renew the life of the earth. God send your spirit, renew the life of the earth. Let us pray. Because you, God, love the world, because Christ in Christ you walked in it, we dare to pray, God send your spirit, renew the life of the earth. To connect the words of ancient scripture to the life of the world today, to let the ancient summons of Jesus surpass our <coughs> reticence to respond. God, send your spirit. Renew the life of the earth. To awaken the minds of those in power to the realities of those they govern. To confront the arrogance of the privileged with the vulnerability of the poor. God, send your spirit. Renew the life of the earth. To engage the fragile state of the planet with those who carelessly abuse it. To let the pain of those who are hurting awaken the caring potential in the healthy. God, send your spirit. Renew the life of the earth. To eradicate the distance between our convictions and our commitments, our potential and our performance, our prayers and our politics, our faith and our discipleship. God, send your spirit. Renew the life of the earth. Convince us, gracious gods, that all creation matters and that all creation is up for redemption. And since in Jesus you destined all to be changed and made new, enable us to be agents of your purpose. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen.
pray. Your goodness to us, God, is beyond our grasp. So many things that delight and thrill us. So much that is beautiful and fragile and precious. So as we offer these gifts of money, we offer ourselves, we offer our attitudes and our actions that we may live out the values we profess in word and deed. Amen. For the healings of the nations, Lord, we pray with one accord for a just and equal sharing of the things that earth affords to a life of love in action. Help us rise and pledge our word. As we go from here, may the God of all creation bless us with the humility to recognise our place within creation and the generosity to care for it locally and globally, now and always. (laughs) 